It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the happiest season of Good morning. My name is Andrea Smith, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at West. So happy post-Thanksgiving. Thank you for choosing to spend your Sunday morning here at West, whether you're here in the high school or you're worshiping with us online. We extend a very special and warm welcome to you. We are going to talk about epic fails during the season of Christmas. Some people, like I, love Christmas. But by Christmas Eve, you know, one year, it was the first year that we had started West. I go into it, and I'm so excited and it's just like, yay, here comes Christmas. And by Christmas Eve, I was exhausted, stressed out, trying to do all the things that we all try to do at Christmas. Stood up here on the stage, hoping it was going to be like this powerful night. First words out of my mouth were, we are so glad that you are here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And I thought, well, that's not good. And so I went on to say, after we celebrate his birth this evening, it was an epic fail. We all have epic fails. In fact, so a few months ago, the staff and I gathered together for our annual fall planning retreat. And I said, let's start in December, actually January, let's start in January and work our way back. Let's, you know, do our planning and the look of shock on their faces because we were actually planning Christmas long before October was was priceless to me so we laid out this whole message series and and we were excited we did an awkward staff photos so for those of you who have submitted your awkward family photos we're really grateful for those you'll be receiving a Christmas card on behalf of West with our awkward photo and uh, so I thought you know it'd be really fun and a team builder if we made a gingerbread house like if the staff made gingerbread houses. Um, You guys can see on the screen an image of an epic fail. The gingerbread house is on fire. Uh, So go back to the gingerbread house for just a second and leave that there because this morning already there has been an epic Advent Christmas fail. The gingerbread houses, you are supposed to vote on which ones are the most, you know, bizarre and all this kind of stuff. And thank goodness we took pictures because I went to get the other three this morning and they're missing. I don't know how one loses three gingerbread houses, but I seem to have mastered that art. And so I thought I'd break it to the staff gently because, you see, they spent hours making these gingerbread houses. I told them it was going to be a competition. I did not tell them, however, they had to make them from scratch. All they got was a roll of cookie dough and some stuff. And they had to make these houses. And they actually were so creative. And I'm really sad you don't get to see them. And so in a little bit ago, I'm like breaking it to them gently. I'm like, hey, the gingerbread houses, like there's only two out of five. I don't know where they are. And uh, Gary Heck, I love him. He goes, I'm pretty sure that's on you. I said... (laughs) Thank you, Gary. Like, I didn't know whose responsibility it was to have the gingerbread houses here. Thank you. Yes, I got that that is my epic fail. So hopefully by next Sunday, you'll have framed pictures of gingerbread houses to vote on. I don't think I'm going to find them. I think they have been recycled to gingerbread heaven. So epic fails. We all have them. 
This morning, we are going to look at one of the Christmas carols that can come across as an epic fail if we look at the meaning of the words, uh, perhaps not in the way that they were intended. And the song is, O Come All Ye Faithful. Last year, on the first Sunday of Advent, the worship team was doing the song, and, and I, I started thinking about the words. I'm like, wait a minute, this makes no sense. O Come All Ye Faithful. That's not the message of the manger. In fact, the message of the manger would have been the exact opposite. Come everybody. That's what Jesus meant. Come all people, not just the faithful. So I shot off a text to Amy Coles in the middle of worship, which probably wasn't appropriate, but I figured why not. I'm like, have you ever thought about the theology of, oh, come all ye faithful? It's messed up. And she's like, well, yeah, yeah, I guess it could be. So we're going to look at the theology of that song and perhaps the theology of of the Advent Christmas story and how that can relate to our lives today. There are some other Christmas songs that have some messed up words. I want you to guess what the songs are based on the picture. Here's the first one. What's the name of the song? Yes, so either they have some interesting role play in their home or mommy is kissing some strange man that just happens to pop in down the chimney and she starts kissing him. That's a messed up Christmas message. The next one. The 12 days of Christmas. So let's think about this for just a second. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Who wants a partridge in a pear tree? Who wants maids a-milking and drummers drumming and pipers piping? That's a lot. The only thing in this song that I think is worthy of having at Christmas, can you guess? Five gold rings. You can never go wrong with uh, jewelry for Andrea Smith on Christmas. So, you know, who wants all the rest of that junk? And then the last one, this is the most tragic of all. Who's going to sing that to children at Christmas? Hey, guess what? This man who brings amazing gifts once a year to you, you know, he runs over grandma and knocks her out with his reindeer. It is not a good message to send. And neither is, O come, just ye faithful. So I started studying the song, O Come All Ye Faithful. Actually, after I got my feathers out of a wad, I realized that it really means something so much more different. Come all ye faithful means that all people are invited to come, but in order to go, we have to be faithful. Advent is the season of waiting before Christmas Today starts the first day, and it's the 24 days leading up to Christmas Eve this year. It's the time that we ponder what it means to receive the gift of what comes in that cave that night in Bethlehem so many years ago. It's a message of hope, a message of love and joy and peace. And that story, it's it's so beautiful Because it does extend an offer and an opportunity for us all to go to the manger. So this morning, instead of just picking one piece, I want us to look at it in totality. And I want us to start with the scripture passage from Isaiah. A green shoot will sprout up from Jesse's stump. From his roots, 
a budding branch. The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him, the spirit that brings wisdom and understanding. The spirit that gives direction and builds strength. The spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. Fear of God, reverence of God, will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances. He won't decide on the basis of heresy. He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decisions on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll pull on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. That's a picture of what the prophet Isaiah was saying. That was the picture of hope that was going to come to a group of people that had been exiled and enslaved in captivity over and over again. For thousands of years, they were waiting. They were waiting on that one that was going to change everything. One of the beautiful things that I think is so prevalent in Christianity in the season of Christmas is on Christmas Eve we'll gather here and the seats will be much more full than they are right now. And there will be people that come here only one time a year. One of the beautiful things that I think about you as a church is I never get hate email after I say this next phrase. Every year, Christmas and Easter, I say, even if you come to this place tonight and you don't buy any of this story, if you don't think that there was a virgin who gave birth and you don't think that there were angels that appeared and you don't think there were shepherds in the fields keeping watch by night, that's okay. It's okay if you don't buy the whole story. But there is something from the story that we can take away. And even if you don't buy it, it has to be like the greatest conspiracy ever because the story and its message and its meaning has held true for thousands of years. So even if you don't embrace it all, maybe embrace just the meaning of the story, which is love. And that love is extended to all people all the time. And we're all invited into that story regardless of where we come from in our journeys. So that's this message this morning of the first Sunday of Advent. We're all invited to the story. Where do you come to the story from? And what's it going to take in your life to be faithful? What is it that we are going to have to do maybe a little differently so that we'll step out and actually go to receive the gift that comes in that Christ child in that manger? The picture, the foundational picture is what we read about, actually, in that passage in Isaiah. It talks about a, a branch that's going to grow out of the stump, and it, it's tracing, actually, Jesus' uh, genealogy back to King David, who is the son of Jesse, and the Hebrew word for branch there is Nelton. And what it means is hope. Out of this branch, out of this, you know, line of David is going to come a message of hope. And so the message of hope comes, first of all, in the most in, 
you know, insignificant, obscure places, this town called Nazareth. Now, the Talmud is like a a Jewish book, including all the laws and the Jewish rabbinic theology. It's called the Talmud, and it listed all the provinces and towns and cities that were anywhere near the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we know that Jesus lived and did the the majority of his ministry. And so this, this Talmud lists all these cities. You know the one city it does not list, the one town that it doesn't list is Nazareth. And guess where Jesus' mom was from? Guess where she was when the angel appeared to her? An angel does not mean, you know, a person with white fluffy wings, you know, hovering around. Angel means messenger from God. Mary, when she received that messenger from God, she was in the town of Nazareth. It had between somewhere between 100 and 400 people. It was the most insignificant place and insignificant town. Not only was it not listed in like the the Jewish faith book, but uh, Josephus was an ancient historian who documented the actual history, which is another just brief aside beautiful thing of the Christian story is that the faith does intersect with actual history. But Josephus was this ancient scholar, and he also listed all all the important towns and provinces during that town during that time the talmud listed 63 he listed 45 neither of those neither of those examples list nazareth it's this insignificant town and and right next to it was this huge town. It had like 30,000 people and archaeologists have excavated uh, the remains of some of the homes and they have learned that this is like one of the the elite villages the tile floors were the most beautiful mosaics so it's like the upper echelon lived right here and then you take like just a few steps over and there's this insignificant town where this one woman we would call her a young a young girl somewhere between the age of 13 and 15 in the dark of the night receives this message that changes everything about her life Hey, you're going you're gonna to have a baby. We know you're not married, but, you know, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the Messiah. You just have to trust me on this. And don't be afraid. So in this insignificant town, this young woman who would never have assumed to be chosen for something this important, she was not from the upper class, she was not well-educated, she was not a great religious leader, she was just a young girl in an insignificant town, probably very, very poor. And she got to bring the message of hope into the world simultaneously you know not not too far away a couple of days journey she had an aunt named Elizabeth and Elizabeth and her husband they were broken they were so sad and they had had this vision of having a baby in their lives and they were on up in age and they had given up on their dream While Mary is experiencing her newfound message of of hope, they are receiving their own message from a messenger from God, an angel saying, hey, you're actually going to have a baby. And he's going to prepare the way. He's going to prepare the way for the one who's going to come and usher in this, this new kingdom and this new reality. 
So, so far, we have a place that's insignificant. We have a young woman who had to have been afraid. She knew she was going to be ostracized. You don't get pregnant out of wedlock back then. And you have a family that's broken because the pain of their past is controlling the joy of their future. And all three of them have just an essential part in the Christmas story. There are others as well. So Mary was engaged to this man named Joseph. Joseph, by trade, was a carpenter. He lived a simple life. When the one who was chosen that was going to be the earthly father for the king of all kings and the Messiah, there wasn't really anything fancy about it. He was just a simple man, but had a willingness to follow. And then perhaps, like one of the most just mind-breaking things, is that the night that he was born, the angels, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward all, appeared to not just one or two people, but a group of people. But not to the religious people sitting in their synagogues and temples waiting on the message. The angels appeared to the shepherds. They're called the lowly shepherds. Marked with great humility, I'm sure, but also they were not the top class of society either. Night shepherds were even more ostracized than day shepherds. The night shepherds would be like the absolute last string on some kind of sports team. And that's who got the message. To go to Bethlehem and see the beauty that had come in the manger that evening. Come all ye faithful. Faithful doesn't mean that we have these lives that are all put together and perfect. I dare say none of us in this room are worshiping online. None of us have perfect lives. We don't have perfect past. We don't have perfect presence in the here and now. And I hate to break it to you, but we won't have perfect futures. But we can have futures marked with faithfulness if We realize that somewhere in this Christmas story, somewhere in the people that I just described, we fit. Every one of us here, we fit with one of those personalities and characteristics that were present so long ago. When the angel appeared, the angel said, don't be afraid. How many times do we let our fear cripple us? in doing what it is that we're called to do and being who it is we're called to be. 365 times, over and over again, that that phrase, do not be afraid, is found in Holy Scripture. That message is important. So come, all ye faithful, means come, ye afraid people, and be faithful. And then come broken, You know, Christmas is happy and fun, but it also carries pain and sadness. 
We can't let the pain of our past cripple us from experiencing the joy of the present and the future. Can you imagine the astonishment of Elizabeth and Zechariah when the angel appeared and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. I know you're too old, but guess what? It's really going to happen. How many times do we look at gifts that are given to us in our lives and we find them to be unbelievable because of our brokenness and the pain of our past? And we can't believe that finally, maybe, this is our time to embrace the joy and hope that comes in the gift of the Christ child. So come ye afraid, be faithful. Come ye broken, bring your pain and be faithful. And last but not least, sometimes we're just too ashamed of who we are to believe that we're worthy of the gift of absolute love. This morning, the other church where I pastor, St. Paul, it's a much smaller congregation. There's about 25 people in a very intimate setting. So during this part of the message, when I talked about being, you know, being called and, and gifted and equipped despite our fear and our brokenness and our shame, I asked them to turn to one another I know your worst nightmare for many of you, but I ask them to turn to one another and, and share who they were in their past. And, and a classic Andrea moment, I didn't explain it well, so they didn't quite know what to do. And so some were talking about their professions, which is what I meant for them to do. But one gentleman who is just the pillar of the church, I had the privilege of listening to him. And he told me how during the earlier years of his life, he was broken and lived a life of much shame. He had an addiction to alcohol that dictated and drove all of his decisions. And then he realized about midway through life that there was something more than could be found in a bottle that there was hope and promise. And now every Sunday he leads that congregation in their invitational prayer. He moved past his shame. Maybe that's the hardest one to move past because we know that this gift is so beautiful and love is so pure and just fills our soul, but we think we can't, we're not worthy There is nothing that is so big that we can't go and receive the gift that comes in the manger. Nothing. So come all ye fearful and be faithful. Come all ye broken and be faithful. And come all ye ashamed and be faithful. Because Here's what happens when you do. Will you show the last slide, please? Once upon a time, there was an administrative assistant, a web developer, a nurse who previously was a go-go dancer, a pretzel store owner, a 
wine distributor, a salesman, a stay-at-home mom, a waitress and an intern, and a school teacher. And over the course of time, they realized that despite their brokenness or pain or shame or whatever stuff that they were carrying around, they were gifted. And they were called. What you're looking at are the professions of your staff. There aren't any seminary trained, and I'm sort of halfway seminary trained, but, you know, you don't see up there a bunch of religious degrees. But I'd say that the people that make up that screen, they're leading a pretty vital and vibrant church in a time and in a place where church is not very popular anymore. They all have gifts and callings that they share here. You do too. So despite whatever stuff you're carrying around this first Sunday of Advent, whether you are experiencing pain or fear of your past or your present or your future or shame, we're invited to come. We're all invited to come to the manger. O come, all ye who will be faithful, and come let us adore him. The good news is the staff will not be, nor were they surprised when I told them I'd lost their gingerbread houses. They all know me. They know that I'm a big picture kind of girl, and I can't keep up with all the details like gingerbread houses. The good news is that same love and acceptance that the staff have for me, the love of God for each of us is so much bigger than that. And it doesn't matter where we fail, no matter how epic the failure is, that message of hope that comes in the manger is here for us all. May we embrace that message today and in the days ahead until we come to celebrate that evening. Go in that message of hope. Amen. <laughs>